0: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to another special series on the Compliance Podcast Network of Adventures in Compliance. First, a word from our sponsor, the Compliance Masterclass. Are you interested in the most comprehensive compliance training class around? Do you want to hear from a true subject matter expert in the nuts and bolts of compliance? then my Doing Compliance Masterclass training is the compliance training class for you. It is unlike any other class being offered. The Compliance Masterclass is not theory or analytical underpinnings of the FCPA. The focus of the Compliance Masterclass is on the operationalization of compliance, for it is only in the doing of compliance that companies have a real chance of avoiding FCPA liability. I hope you will consider my Doing Compliance Masterclass. The next class will be held in New York City on November 12th and 13th. For more information, check out my site, www.fcpacompliancereport.com. Over the next five podcasts in the Adventures in Compliance series, we're going to take a look at compliance issues through the lens of Sherlock Holmes novels. So we're going to start with The Hound of the Baskervilles and 90 Days to Innovation. We're going to take a look at Sign of Four and Innovation. We're going to consider *The Valley of Fear and Virtual Teams. And finally, A Study in Scarlet and Using Power. We're going to conclude this week's special series with a few thoughts of Sherlock Holmes as a teacher. I hope that you will enjoy Adventures in Compliance and you will find them useful in your compliance practice going forward. Adventures in Compliance is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network, A Study in Scarlet and Using Power. In this episode, I consider the first Sherlock Holmes novel, A Study in Scarlet. There are two items of note that I learned in researching this work. The first is that it was written in 1886, and even Conan Doyle had trouble finding a publisher for what went on to become the most famous detective character of all time. The second was a title. I'd always thought it referred to the color of blood, but it turns out that it comes from a speech given by Holmes to Dr. Watson on the nature of his work, in which he describes the story's murder investigation as a study in scarlet. There's the scarlet thread of murder running through the colorless scheme of life, and our duty is to unravel it, to isolate it, and to expose every inch of it. Furthermore, a study is a preliminary drawing sketch, painting done in preparation for our finished piece. I thought Doyle's first work would provide an excellent entree into the topic of leadership in the compliance function. While many compliance departments may have begun as a more of a command and control function set up by lawyers to comply with anti-bribery laws such as the FCPA or UK Bribery Act, this type of leadership model is now becoming outmoded in today's world. It is not that employees are interested in the why they should do business ethically in compliance, but more the power is shifting inside corporations. In an HBR article entitled Understanding New Power, the authors explored how leadership dynamics are changing and what companies might be able to do to harness this. I found them to be excellent insights, particularly for a chief compliance officer moving to CCO 2.0 role. The new shift differs from the old power in the bilateral dimension of the intersection. The intersection is between models used to exercise power and the values which are now embraced. It is the understanding of this shift in power which will facilitate the compliance function moving forward to the forefront of operationalization. The new power models are fourfold using sharing and shaping a company. It's much more integrated with its customers and supply chain. Second, the funding, which continues through this integration by adding a vertical component of funding, whether equity positions or some other type of funding. Third is the producing, by which participants go beyond supporting or sharing other people's efforts and contribute their own. Finally is the co-ownership, which is the most decentralized, pushing down participation to the lowest or most basic levels of a company. Beyond these new power systems, it is a set of values and beliefs that are being forged. Power is not just flowing differently. People are feeling and thinking differently about it. The authors call these feedback loops, which make visible the payoffs of peer-based collective action and endow people with a sense of power. In doing so, they strengthen norms around collaboration. The authors laid out five new values. These include in the area of governance, where a new power favors informal network approaches to governance and decision making. In the area of collaboration, it favors the new power value rewards those who share their ideas and spread those to others or build on existing ideas to even make them better. Do it ourselves value, which is a belief in the amateur culture and arenas that used to be characterized by specialization and professionalization. That is certainly true in the operationalization of compliance. Next is transparency, which, while not a new concept, says that more permanent transparency between business and social lives will lead to a response in kind from our institution and leaders who are challenged to rethink the way they engage with their constituencies, specifically including their employee base. The final new value is affiliation by which new and younger employees are less likely to forge decades-long relationships with the institution. There are three prescriptions I found useful for for the compliance practitioner to incorporate into a mature and evolving compliance program moving forward. Compliance functions need to engage in three essential tasks. One, to assess their place in the shifting power environment. Two, to channel their harshest critics. And three, develop a mobilization capacity. So let's break each one of those down. Number one, assess where you are. This is quite close to something compliance practitioners are comfortable with in their role in the compliance function, which is a risk assessment. However, the assessment should be turned inward so that you assess the compliance function on the new power compass, both where you are today and where you want to be in five years. You can benchmark this from other companies in responding to their questions and queries, Internally, you can begin this process with a conversation about the new realities and how the compliance function should form in a fully operationalized compliance program going forward. More importantly, such an assessment can help you identify the aspects of core model values that core models and values that should not be changed. Second, incorporate business unit interest. If there is a clear Requirement for operationalization. I am not sure it is said with such clarity as today. The wisest organizations will be those engaging in the most painfully honest conversations inside and outside about their compliance impact. I think this question should first be asked by a CCO. For it is only knowing what you are going, what you are doing to work with your business units, but more importantly, what are you doing to incorporate their concerns and suggestions? back into your compliance regime in a feedback loop. If you're going to ask the business unit to be a significant partner, or better yet, operationalize your compliance program, you need to have a mechanism in place to engage your business unit so that there can be an inflow of input before the compliance function has an output of requirements. This level of introspection has to precede any investment in new power and mechanisms. Finally, mobilize your capacity. Here I would suggest that you consider contracted third parties and other third parties such as joint venture partners as an avenue through which the compliance function can bring greater benefits to an organization. I've often heard Mary Jones talk about her training of the third part, her company's third party compliance programs and how thankful she was, they were rather, when she as global director of compliance at her organization would travel and put on live in training programs in-person training. Her efforts to travel to these locations, spend the money to do so, not only directly strengthen the company's compliance function, but created allies for her efforts by giving those suppliers and third parties the information and training they needed to comply with their customer requirements. Reaching out in this manner, Global in- uh, Industries, Mary's company, used its contracted third-party suppliers to create a greater and stronger com- company compliance program. As the corruption, anti-corruption compliance profession matures, it will become a, more of an operationalized component of a company's business function. That means less of a lawyer's top-down mentality, because, as I said to do it, it will require more collaboration. It also means, as with the premiere of Sherlock Holmes' first novel, A Study in Scarlet, that something new is on the horizon, and it could be here for quite some time to come. I hope you will join me in my final episode this week as I take a look at Sherlock Holmes as a teacher. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Adventures in Compliance. If you have any questions on anything I talked about in this episode, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join me for another episode of Adventures in Compliance. Adventures in Compliance is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.